Rafer. Yes, Kristen? Quick question, and you can't even think. You just have to choose. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Which of the following are you? I'm going to give you five choices. Are you selfless? Are you peaceful? Are you honest? Are you brave? Or are you intelligent? One choice. Go. I guess it's got to be intelligent. You are intelligent. But the problem is, if you, but I, if you, if I, ha, if I have to choose, then I'm just stuck being intelligent guy, and I'm not really that intelligent. <laughs> you're really smart. Do you know what though. I mean? You're really smart, but you're also really, really nice. Um, I'm not it, selfless. You're not selfless. <laughs> no. Are you peaceful though? <laughs> no, I'm, no, no. I'm agitated. I, I am a little confused about the difference between selfless and peaceful, though. Those yeah. are both kind of. Close what are you? To me. What are you, Kristen? Um. I like to think that I'm peaceful, but I might be just delusional. And you I don't. Are, I don't is that is delusional <laughs> an option? Delusional is not an option. Oh, no. We might be divergent. Right I first. think so. I think you're definitely divergent. I think you're aberrant. That's what I think, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Divergent. Yes, that's, that's one, just one of the movies we'll be talking about. It's the new young adult teen dystopian sci-fi social Centering allegory on a feminist teenager falling in love. sound familiar and then... i've never heard of that <laughs> in my life and we've also got uh, the muppets movie muppets most wanted to review and we'll also be talking to none other than stellan skarsgård the star of nymphomaniac the new lars von trier film Woo-hoo. but first let's introduce ourselves I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. I'm gonna screw you gently, I'm gonna hump you sweetly, I'm gonna ball you discreetly. Let's start off light, shall we, with... Nymphomaniac. With no. Nymphomaniac. No. Let's say let's save that. Let's 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 ease That's, the listeners into that a little bit, just, shall we? Slowly. Let's a little foreplay here. Let's let's do some Muppets. No, Rafer, unfortunately you weren't able to make it to the Muppets screening this week. Well, they scheduled Divergence and the uh, Divergent and the Muppets at the same time and I, I couldn't know. I couldn't do it. No, it's like um, choosing between two babies. It's really hard. It's a long story, but you man you managed to see both, but you saw Muppets Most Wanted. And I'm glad you did because you were a big fan of the first Muppets oh, movie, yes. which I was not as much of a fan of. So I want to hear your thoughts. Well, first of all, let me just tell you, this time around, like all the ads tell you, there are two Kermits. There's the one guy who looks just like Kermit, but he is actually evil Constantine, an international criminal who escapes from a Siberian gulag and steals Kermit's identity. That's kind of heavy. Yeah. Especially right now with world politics and yeah. so on. They don't and actually <laughs> mention Ukraine or Crimea anywhere in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Almost convincing. Okay. Yes. And there's no mention of Putin as far as I can remember. All right. That's good. But Kermit then is uh, forced to be in the gulag instead in Siberia. And I really wish you would have seen some of the gulag uh, prisoners because I think you would have laughed. That does sound pretty funny, actually. The, yeah. And the overseer at the prison is Tina Fey. Okay. And the other prisoners include Danny Trejo, whose name is... Danny Trejo. <laughs> awesome. That's great. That's good. And meanwhile, the fake Kermit Constantine is hanging out with the rest of the Muppets now who don't seem to even notice that this <laughs> guy with the Russian accent is suddenly with them. But they think, you know, he looks just like Kermit. And they have a new tour manager played by Ricky Gervais playing Mr. Baggy. His name is pronounced spelled B-A-D-G-U-Y. Mr. Uh, Bad Guy. Baggy, okay. it's pronounced. Okay. And uh, This is like Chani Lasname. <laughs> 
spelled L-A-S-T-N-A-M-E with an accent from uh, from uh, Anchorman 2. Exactly. Okay. And, and so Ricky Gervais is um, helping Constantine, the Kermit stand-in criminal, uh, pull off a really, really criminal sort of thing that I should not be giving away because you don't really find out until the end. But first, of course, Ricky Gervais has to convince the Muppets to let him manage them. Here's a clip of that. Okay, I am inundated with offers of management at the moment. One Direction, you 2 Cirque du Soleil, just some of the acts I can list. Wow, that's a good list. And now I want to tour manage you guys. Cirque du Soleil, all right. Yeah, One Direction, we love them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we sure do. Uh, Well, okay, so I have, uh, before I get get to the heart of the matter, I have have a couple questions. One, these are just random questions. One is, um, does Constantine hit on Miss Piggy? Oh, he does, but I'm not even going to explain it. I know, it's a little gross, huh? You don't want like a fake guy going in there on your woman. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's this whole, there's this whole string of doppelganger movies coming out. Uh, the Double with Jesse Eisinger, um, Enemy with uh, Jake uh, Gyllenhaal, and now uh, The Muppets Most Wanted with, with Kermit. It's, uh, it's a thing. Very odd. That is a thing. Uh, okay, my second question is, um, how's the music? Okay, you're going to hate this because this was one of your criticisms of the last movie as well, which is Brett McKenzie has some great songs in this movie, which yep. we just love Brett McKenzie making clever, funny songs. But they do that same thing they did in the last movie, which is they also just have kind of rejiggering of popular pop songs also. And uh-huh. They have a version of the Macarena. They have a version of My Heart Will Go On. They oh, have like, yeah. And I know you don't like that. I don't um, like that. Also, there aren't as many cameos in this as you would like. Oh, okay. I, I think you like it when there are more cameos. There just weren't that many in this well, one. Well, just because it's in keeping with the original, the very first Muppet movie, which yeah. had so many great cameos. Yeah, and I agree with you on that one. You know, there should be more cameos. I also could have gone without the you know, remakes of pop songs. I would have preferred just a Brett McKenzie soundtrack. One more question. Is there a business bad guy? Because you remember when Fox News uh, <laughs> called, the, called the Muppets communists because they had a, they had a, uh, a, a business-oriented bad guy? It was the oil man at that time, right? Chris Cooper. And then, they, and then Fox also just recently um, lambasted the Lego movie for having a, a, a business-oriented um, CEO as their villain. So is this in keeping with Hollywood's leftist liberal agenda? No, it is showing over and over again. We are not communists. Oh, We're not oh, Russians. That's right. We're okay, not Russians. Good. And and even more so, we're not French either. There's actually <laughs> Ty Burrell plays a, a French detective who is very incompetent and has to go on vacation for weeks at a time because of <laughs> okay. his wonderful national policy of spending time with his family. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, okay. it's pretty hilarious. Just like that, that commercial they kept running during the Winter Olympics. Yes. <laughs> Boy, okay. All right. Well, so how'd you like it? I thought it was a pretty good date. I thought it was cute, funny. Uh, like you, though, I, you know, as I was saying, I, I could have done with more Brett McKenzie music. I could have done with more cameos. But, yeah. you know, overall, I think it's a pretty good time. And I, I, I'm going in with a bias. I always feel that you have to live up to the first Muppet movie. Yeah. Nothing ever does. No, but that's it's, true. it's still pretty good. All right. OK, good. I'm glad to hear that. Maybe I'll take uh, my kids to see I that I think one. your kids will like it. I okay. think they will. Um, well, let's segue from the children's movie into the most adult movie we could possibly find. <laughs> That's not a segue. <laughs> That's that an abrupt is transition. not a segue. No. That's like starting off like, here's a skateboard. 
All right, and here's the space shuttle. <laughs> no. Well. Okay, fine. The, we'll do it. We'll it's do the it. best I could do. Uh, Nymphomaniac. So this is Lars von Trier's new film. Uh, when when he was uh, first talking about this film, there was a lot of talk about it being pornographic. And uh, indeed, it's pretty sexually explicit, wouldn't you say? I would say so. But I also would say, um, how can I put this? I wouldn't say it's sexy, though. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not really. It's not erotic. Exactly. Yes, it's it's sexual, but it's not like you're gonna turn this on and be like turned on. Right. Right. You would you would not want to be uh, alone in your hotel room watching this late at night. This would not. This would not be here. This would not be on Skinamax. No, you're gonna right? be sad. <laughs> well, uh, a brief a brief uh, plot synopsis, if that's even possible. Uh, Charlotte Gansborg plays. Joe, she's a woman who, as the title says, is a nymphomaniac. She's spent most of her life chasing sexual pleasure or even sensation in uh, one way or another. Uh, at the opening of this, at this uh, movie, which is volume one in uh, two parts to Nymphomaniac, this is volume one. She's discovered bruised and bloody and beaten in a back alley by uh, a lonely bachelor named Seligman, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Here's a clip. What do I do? Smile, make eye contact. But what if it doesn't work? Then it'll just happen its own. You just take them to the lavatory and you have sex with them. So what's happening is after Stellan rescues her, he pretty much is just the recipient of her story. He says, how did you end up in this alley? What's your life story? Um... And then she spends the next four hours telling him what her story is. (laughs) That's correct. Uh, This is only the two-hour version, four four hours in total. Um, Yeah, so so, in volume one, you know, we we hear the first half. Right. And he's an inexperienced person. He is indeed. He is indeed. Not not what you'd call a worldly guy, sort of monkish type, uh, this this bachelor. He loves his books. Yes. Uh, So the cast includes Christian Slater, Uma Thurman, uh, Shia LaBeouf, of course, lots of uh, notoriety for Shia LaBeouf these days, now appearing in a – well, it's unrated, but if it were (laughs) rated, it would be NC-17. And we had a chance to sit down and talk with Stellan Skarsgård. So in a moment, we'll play that interview. Stellan, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So a couple of years ago, uh, when we heard the news that uh, Lars von Trier was making a pornographic film, one of the first people to join the cast that I found out about was you. So tell me what uh, his early vision was, what you guys discussed, and and why you said yes. I don't know. I mean, he called me like a year before we started shooting, and he he said, Stalin, my next film will be a partner film, and I want you to play the male lead in it. And I said, of course, yes, of course. (laughs) Uh, Because I'd do anything with him. It's such a pleasure working with him. It's not even like working. It's like two kids in a sandbox, really. Uh, And then he started calling me and telling me about ideas. Like he calls and says, have you ever heard about the silent duck? And, uh, <laughs> and of course, I hadn't heard about the silent duck, so I learned a lot. Um, we learned a lot too. Yeah, Rafer yeah. and I have been making fun of the silent duck all day with each other. <laughs> <laughs> now, Stellan, do you have any past experience or special qualifications that make you especially uh, well-suited to be in a porno? Uh, 
first of all, it's not a pornographic film. I mean, it's it's Lars' way of expressing himself. It's it's not it's not a. I mean, it's four hours. You wouldn't watch a four-hour porno film. You would get exhausted. And it, it's not a – you get, don't get aroused from it in that sense. It, the sexuality in the film is very explicit, but it's uh, it's like normal human behavior. You know? And after watching it for a while, I saw the five-and-a-half-hour version and and it becomes as natural as, as eating or – Ironing a shirt or something. I don't know. <laughs> but but I have, of course, I've made a lot of sex scenes in films and I've been naked in many films. But I'm from Scandinavia, so to me it's not a problem. I was born naked. Do you do you feel that um, that Scandinavians versus, say, Americans or Britons uh, have a different attitude towards sexuality? Definitely. In what way? Well, it's uh, – I mean we have a tradition of the saunas which means that you – a lot of people, families are naked in the sauna together, uh, which we had to do because it was very cold there. Um, and we, ha- we also – it's also a very secularized uh, society uh, which helps because uh, most of the rules about not showing body parts uh, all the way from burka to, to keep your pants on is um, – comes out of a Bronze Age religion. Americans may not know this, but you've been fairly public about your feelings as an as an atheist. Um, and in the film, you play a character who is not necessarily religious, religious and you're also very non-judgmental. That seems to be the the main strain of, of your character in this film. How close is that character to you? I hope he's not too close to me, because um, of course I'm I am not a religious person, and uh, and I try not to be judgmental, and I'm, I believe you should believe in tolerance, um, and I tolerate religious people as long as they keep their religion to themselves. Um, but the character I'm playing is he's a man without any experience of life whatsoever, and he's a virgin, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. Not only is your character a virgin in the movie and doesn't have that life experience, your character is mostly removed from the action of the movie. You're actually the recipient of a story from Charlotte Gainsbourg's character, in Joe. Way, yeah. And in, in so many ways, you're not inside the action. Does that make it harder to actually be a part of the story when you're not physically in it? Not really. I mean, I was there for two weeks and I spent two weeks in a room with Charlotte Gainsbourg and I had like 90 pages of dialogue. Uh, so that's what I did. And uh, I knew what the rest of the story was, but I was never interacting with it. But I'm also kind of middleman between the audience and her story. I'm, I'm the big listener there. Um, but it's a fun character to do. Of course, he's a construction. I mean, he's it's, it's, it's an idea. You don't find people, I think, that are... Uh, with as little experience of life as he has. But it's fun. I mean she talks about incredible sexual um, stories from her life and what he relates to that is the only thing he has is, uh, well, that reminds me of fly fishing. And and it becomes very (laughs) pathetic, you know. (laughs) Now, you've been in six Lars von Trier movies, seven if you count both volumes of Nymphomaniac. And von Trier is frequently accused of painting men as unkind and women as victims. Do you see his movies as making a statement about gender and politics? Um, he uh, he writes the best female roles in, in, in the history of film. He's, ha- he's had more leading actresses winning in Cannes than anybody else. Um, uh, he's uh, 
all the characters, I mean, my character and the uh, character played by Charlotte Gainsbourg, they are different sides of himself. But I, I, it's, it's not uncommon that directors prefers to to use um, actresses to describe their inner life instead of actors because actors, they have to be manly and square and stiff and stupid. But women are allowed to show feelings in a much more nuanced way. What draws you back to Von Trier? What, what makes you keep working with him? Well, first of all, he's, he's a very good friend and I, I really – I just like hanging out with him. And I'm not, uh, I'm not that result-oriented. I don't really think much about the end result when I'm working. I'm, I'm there for the process and working with him is a fantastic process. But he's also one of the most technically skilled directors in the world and he's a great storyteller. And you know every time you're in a Lars von Trier movie, you know it's not going to be like any other movie, not even like any other Lars von Trier movie. You said once that you, uh, that you laugh a lot when you see Lars von Trier's films. <laughs> what, <Yeah. laughs> I think some people would say, where is the humor? <laughs> well, he's got a great sense of humor. And if you, if you look at Nymphomaniac, you will be laughing a lot as well. But, but he's uh, – even when he comes up with the most brutal and horrible things, you laugh because you think, well, how the heck did you come up with that? Where, where does that come from, that idea? And um, – and I know also that he, he has a he finds a pleasure in in, in um, creating difficulties for his characters. I think I read that when you first met Lars von Trier, he he asked he just said he did not like to be touched, and so you hugged him, and that you've been hugging him ever since. Are you still hugging him? Yeah, yeah, and now he's hugging back. It took a couple of years, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I hugged him immediately when he said that. It was our first meeting, and then I held him until he stopped sort of wriggling. <laughs> And, uh, and he's, he's learned now. But he's, he's – I think – I've known him for quite a few years now and his, his relationship not only to, to actors has improved but uh, his relationship to humans in general. He's much more relaxed in contact with human beings. Do you feel like that's reflected in his movies in any way? Yeah, I think so. I think – like Nymphomaniac has uh, – a level of warmth uh, that has um, gradually developed throughout the years, and his uh, his way of working with actors now, uh, his uh, passion for for finding the true life in the actors that can bring his uh, rather his ideas, his rather written scripts to life, has made him much closer to human beings in general and and uh, probably given him a nicer view on life in general. We've been talking with Stellan Skarsgård. He's a star of the new film Nymphomaniac, parts one and two. Stellan, thank you so much. Thank you very much. loved Stellan Skarsgård. He was great. He, he was, was so great. And do you remember after the interview, I said to him, you know, that whole hugging thing, Stellan, the whole thing that you, you kind of forced Lars von Trier to hug yes. you. I said, I understand that. I'm from Minnesota. And then he said, oh, well, I have to hug you then. Right. <laughs> and then he just gave the best hug in the whole world. He hugged and hugged. And then he said, you get in here too, Rafer. That's right. And, and I did. And then the three of us hugged. We're going to put that picture on our Facebook page so everybody can see us in a wonderful, nymphal hugging sandwich. Stellan Skarsgård Stellan asks you to hug him. What are you going to do? Say no? I, no. Had, I had to get in there for a group hug. You got a hug. All right. It was, that was hug, awesome. You hug. Very You're Swedish. So Very Swedish. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So now we've saved the best question mark for last. <laughs> the hyped 
movie? Most the, hyped, the most certainly. Hyped movie, yeah. uh, Divergent. Kristen, do you want to tell us about Divergent? Well, perhaps you've heard of this thing called a dystopian young adult future. Yes. So um, in this movie, we have a young woman named Triss, um, as in Beatrice without the B in front of it. And she lives in a dystopian future where the people are divided into five factions. And when you reach a certain age of young adulthood, you can leave the faction you were born into and choose to be in another faction. Um, Or you can stay in your faction. But they actually test you just to determine through – a chemical profile, what kind of faction you actually most match up with. And everybody, for the most part, the vast majority of people fall into one of these five factions. They're the selfless faction, the intelligent, the brave, the honest, and the peaceful. Now, she was born into the selfless faction, but she always in her heart has felt a little bit more like she should be in the brave faction. When it comes down to it, though, they test her and find out she actually fits into all the factions and none of them. She is divergent. Here's a clip. For, for it's me. He can't hear you. Amazing, isn't it? Everything we think of that makes up a person. Thoughts, emotions, history. All wiped away by chemistry. For. He's gone. And we're all safer for it. Well, so... The first question I think everyone's going to want to know is how is this different from The Hunger Games? <laughs> well, first of all, in The Hunger Games, I think they're broken up into 12 sections. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and all right. This one, um, there is only one love interest, not two. That's right. Boy, and, was I glad to see that. Yes. A little commitment, please. <laughs> Thank you. In this one, the high-performance outerwear um, – this one's a little more uh, a little more fashionable in a way, right? The the Hunger Games stuff struck me as as a little bit more uh, Under Armour, and this strikes <laughs> me as a little bit more DKNY. You know, black boots, skinny skinny black pants, right? Uh, lots of butt shots in this movie. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So much so much of the butt, and butts are great. I, I love know, the butt. Right? Who doesn't love them? But um, I'd I'd say that while it looks like it might be a copy of the Hunger Games, it's also just the casting. You and I were talking about this. A lot of the casting feels like they're copying other people. You walk out of the movie and like, hold on, was that? Right. Was you that? I, you and I both spent the entire <laughs> film, apparently, uh, wondering whether Theo James, the main guy who plays Four, he is the the dreamy but emotionally unavailable uh, leader of the Dauntless faction, the Brave faction. Uh, we both kept thinking that Theo James was Dave Franco. Yeah, and I was like, wow, I didn't know Dave Franco was I, in this. Right. And, and God, he's or... looking good. Yeah, and I, but I also kept thinking, like, I guess there must be a third Franco brother that I didn't even know about, right? It was like the Baldwins, you know, like maybe there's maybe there's just another Franco that I didn't even know about. Uh, anyway, not Theo James, not 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 Dave Franco, not any kind of Franco. His name's Theo James. And then the other guy um, that I was also pleased to Paul find. Paul Dano. <laughs> I kept thinking that, <laughs> that there was this other guy that was Paul Dano's little brother or something, but he's not. He's completely unrelated as far as we know. Ben Lloyd Hughes, who plays one of the one of the dauntless uh, recruits. Um, yeah, but I kept thinking he looks exactly like Paul Dano. No. <laughs> Strange. Too. Yeah. Only a little bit cuter. Maybe, right, maybe, just, yeah. Just a little bit cuter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, so what did you think of this movie, Kristen? Okay, so I had a problem with it because I felt that the movie was a lot of circumstance, but not a lot of story. It's pretty slow at the beginning. Yeah, and, and that clip that we heard, that's kind of a standoff between Triss and 
the leader who's trying to um, uh, her name's Janine, played by Kate Winslet, and uh, Janine is somebody who is trying to take over how the leadership is done in this world of five factions and she's, she's the leader kind of, of the evil leader yeah she's the leader of the erudite faction the brainy faction yeah and, and she's kind of evil yeah and she, kind of she she doesn't think the selfless people should be ruling the world anymore she thinks that the smart people should be ruling the world and she's willing to take all of the humanity out of humans to make that happen so human she nature is the enemy them. she says yes. yes so she wants to brainwash them but here's the problem to me we have Triss going to her training camp, learning how to be strong and brave and dauntless. And we have a training exercise, followed by another training exercise, followed by another training exercise. None of these training exercises seem to progress to lead you to the next training exercise. It's right. Just, they could have been swapped out and put in any order at all. They don't move the story along. Right. It doesn't really feel like there's a story so much as like, look, I'm going to another training exercise now. Right. And, and that, in that sense, the movie is a lot more like uh, Ender's Game than it is like the Hunger Games. But Ender's Game was just one, one training exercise after another. The entire thing took place in simulators and contests and trainings. Um, and, and you're right. In this one... It feels a lot there, – there's a lot of interpersonal small-scale drama, but there isn't a lot of larger real-world urgency to it all, yeah, right? Yeah, and even though we know that Janine is trying to take over stuff, she's only kind of showing up here and there throughout. And yeah. it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, right. actually. <laughs> right, um, right. I, I, I will say I'm curious to see where it's going to go next. I just felt like this was – very prologue-ish and yeah. not the meat of the story. Right. I think that's true. Um, my my objection to this one is that it is really teen. I mean, they really just teenaged this thing up in a, in a way that the Hunger Games did not. In other words, when you get to when you get to the Dauntless headquarters, it's basically oh, it's like there's a rave going on. It's you know, it's the classic <laughs> thing, right? It's like, oh, look, you've got flashing, you know, neon abstract lights on a brick wall. So partly it looks like a nightclub. Partly you've got school cafeteria tables and sort of prison tray, you know, prison lunch tray kind of things. You've got um, co-ed bunks, so it's kind of like a liberal arts dorm. And then there's an on-site bar and, and tattoo parlor as well. <laughs> and I kept thinking, and not only that, not only that, but here we are in the future in some post-war dystopian future and everyone's still listening to Ellie Goulding, right? <laughs> And sta- and sta- and the cool kids are all still standing around with drinks in their hands, just just like they do now. And that I found a lot of that stuff was so teen flick that it kind of irritated me, and it took me out of what is supposed to be a real futuristic world. Uh, Hunger Games, although it was also very teen, never did that. It, Hunger Games always stuck to its own world for the most part, aside from the occasional emo song that might pop up here and there in the closing <laughs> credits but mostly it was it felt real and that one and this did not feel that real to me for that reason mm. but I will say this I think Shailene Woodley and Theo James who is not Dave Franco I think those two are actually really good in this movie I think they're both really strong. Shailene Woodley we know from The Descendants and from The Spectacular Now. Yeah, and Miles Teller, by the way, from The Spectacular Now right. is also in this movie. Right. Um, and Theo James, to give that guy credit, he's trapped in a really stupid role, right? I mean, this is just, this is your classic dumb bohunk role. You oh, know, he's, but he's so handsome. He's handsome, oh, but... dreamy. Look at those eyes. Those and wounded. Eyes. He's wounded and tough, and he's built a... He's built but he's a, also decent and cares about justice. Right. Will you be the one to break his shell? Will you be the one to find his his, the chink in his armor. Maybe the thing he needed most all along was right in front of him. <laughs> Maybe. So that's a dumb role. And the thing is, the, 
he does a really good job with it. He's kind of witty and funny and seems really serious. And I bought him and I kind of thought like, wow, way to go. You took you took that role and really ran with it. And I think those two are really strong. And I feel like as this franchise goes forward, which we know it will, I think those two are going to be the ones that kind of keep it alive and kicking. Mm, I liked them. Um, but I also just thought Kate Winslet was great in this. She's great. She's Kate totally great. Kate Winslet is so good that every time she's on screen, I just felt like she was acting circles around everyone else. Yeah. Her dedication to it, it's almost Shakespearean how yeah. much she's really this character. And uh, I just was astounded by her. Yeah. She looks really good. Kind of she's sort of fleshy, creamy, but kind of cool and icy at the same time. Yeah, she's and she gonna... says these things that sound kind of like what an HR director would say to you. Like... <laughs> I know that this is a difficult time right now, Rafer. That's right. Well, let's just acknowledge what we're going through. I need I, to know that I can count on you. Yeah. 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 No, she, yeah, she's great. She's great. Ashley Judd, who plays uh, Shailene Woodley's mom, a little a little less successful, mm-hmm. um, I She would looks say. pretty, though. She does. She does. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's an okay date. I would say it's a, it's a perfectly okay date, and I'm willing to see what the next one brings and whether they can sort of ratchet up, ratchet it up a little bit, get to the action and make it a little more interesting to me. Yeah, I think I would uh, say maybe just slightly below you. Oh, really? Um, uh. Because like I said, not a lot of story, a lot of circumstance. And I really would have loved some story here. Yeah. And, no, you're right. You're right. And hopefully the next one, and, and it hasn't completely turned me off on the whole franchise. I really want to see what the next one's going to be. But this one on its own, I, I felt like, especially for a two-hour and 15-minute movie. Yeah. 220, I think. Oh, gosh. It should have been 90 minutes. Right. Because it's just so much set up and nothing really happens. Right. In, in movie date parlance, lots of foreplay, but no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We'll leave, we'll leave that there. We'll just leave it right there at that. Anywho. So, as always, let's end on trivia. Now, last week, in honor of the Grand Budapest Hotel... We were noting that a lot of movies have taken place in hotels. A lot of the movie stories have. And so we played a clip of this movie. Stay with me. Please. Don't hurt me. It's going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Wendy. Stay away. Darling. Light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. And we asked you to identify the movie and bonus points if you could tell us the hotel. And... Here is the right answer. Hi, Rafer and Kristen. This is Christopher from New York. My boyfriend makes me listen to the show every week, but this time I knew the answer to the trivia question, and he didn't. And the answer is The Shining, and it was shot originally at the Timberline Lodge right outside of Portland, Oregon, right on Mount Hood. All right. Thanks. Bye. Oh, Christopher. You know what, Christopher? We just love that you don't even listen to us. You're forced yeah. to listen to us. Yeah, I like that. I like that you're forced to listen to us. And there you go, calling in. We turned you. We yes, turned you. We love it. You called five seven one seven movies, which we always love. And um, just a reminder: every week for trivia, we get lots of responses, but we just randomly pick one. So it doesn't matter what order you write us or call us or or whatnot. Just you know, just do it. We'll randomly pick one of you. That's right. Uh, and so here's your chance. Uh, this week's trivia question, because we were talking about. The Muppets, Most Wanted, and Ricky Gervais. We noticed that Ricky Gervais, you don't really think of him as being in a kid's movie, but in fact, he has before. Here's a clip. Jim, please don't touch the exhibits. I mean, riffraff. Is that one? I cannot tolerate this type of chaos. I mean, this is a museum, not a... Do you know what museum means? That's Ricky Gervais 
in another kids' movie. If you know that movie, give us a call, 5717movies. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rain.